Look, thousands of Americans are dying a day. Our lives have been turned upside down, and they're doing nothing in Washington. David Perdue had his chance, but he was too busy looking after his stock portfolio. And now he's blocking relief for the rest of us. We can defeat this virus by listening to doctors and scientists. We can pass direct economic relief. We can get our daily lives back, but only if we vote. I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message. Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, December the 16th, 2020. On this edition of the Politocrat, the absurdity of Boris Johnson and these inconsistent, incomprehensible COVID rules in England. And Tom Cruise showing leadership in England, more leadership than the actual Prime Minister of England and the UK at large. You'll be hearing his audio, Tom Cruise audio. Someone recorded it surreptitiously as the Mission Impossible megastar actor read the riot act to crew members on the set of the latest Mission Impossible film in England this week. That and what European countries are doing in comparison to England and the UK coming up next. You may find some difficulty in hearing this audio. It's not the best audio, but you should be able to hear what is being said. This is Tom Cruise. Listen to this. We are the gold standard. You're back there in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs. I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their f***ing homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night. The future of the f***ing industry 
So I'm sorry, I'm beyond your apologies. I have told you, and now I want it. And if you don't do it, you're out. We are not shutting this movie down! Is it understood? If I see it again, you're gone. And so are you. So you're going to cost him his job. And I see it on the set, you're gone. And you're gone. That's it. Am I clear? Do you understand what I want? Do you understand the responsibility that you have? Because I will deal with your reason. And if you can't be reasonable, and I can't deal with your logic, you're fired. That's it. That is it. I trust you guys to be here. That's it. Tom Cruise in London, I guess somewhere in England. I don't know if it was exactly in London, but Tom Cruise this week, it may have been yesterday, it may have been sometime in the last couple of days, on the Mission Impossible 7 film set, lacerating crew members, particularly those who violated the on-set COVID-19 rules. Right now, Tom, Tom Cruise, right now, is running a tighter ship against COVID-19 in England than the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is. And quite frankly, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You just heard... Just over three minutes, about three and a half minutes of Tom Cruise and that video and audio, because it's audio that you obviously hear, um, was supplied by the Sun newspaper. Many people in Liverpool would call it the scum newspaper and for very good reason. But the Sun newspaper republished that audio along with still pictures of Tom Cruise, I believe, on the set of this new film which I guess is scheduled to come out sometime next year. I don't know exactly when, um, given what we're going through. But that was Tom Cruise. And as you hear, very upset with crew members 
And I listen, I don't have any problem with what he said, how he said it. How are you going to get your message across to people? I mean, are you going to be Robert De Niro in The Untouchables? Walking around a table with crew members sitting around it and you've got a baseball bat? I mean, I mean, is, is that that's not the way you do it. Is it going to be standing at a uh, press conference lectern? Telling people that, well, you know, you can go out during Christmas, but make sure you're responsible. Make sure you're not hurting other people are not going to do that. Human beings and human nature is such that when you give people a key to the castle, they are not going to leave things the way that they found them. That just is not going to happen. And for those of us who actually think that it will happen that way, well, keep dreaming. You don't know human nature and you don't know how human beings behave. If you really think that once you allow people to mingle for five days over Christmas, that they're going to keep it to just three families, there's always going to be people who are going to say, oh, let's have this one other person. Let's have this other person. Let's have this other person from different families. Let's have that. It's just not going to work. I don't want to sound like a doomsayer. That's not my it's not my assigned role. I'm not assigning myself the title of doomsayer. I'm simply offering to you what you and I both know are the realities of human beings. We're adults. We know how we behave. We know what we're like. We know our experiences. So why are we, some of us, behaving like we are not adults and that we are still nine or ten years old? And there are nine or ten-year-olds who are much wiser and smarter than the current Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, who is, is really making a buffoon of himself. If ever you thought that that could be possible or could be possible any further than it already is. How on earth does Boris Johnson actually sound any note of credibility whatsoever about the rules and the guidance and the law when A, he has had coronavirus, B, Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer standing beside him at this really foolish press conference today had the coronavirus. See, 
Boris Johnson had to re-quarantine just a few weeks ago because despite being at death's door in April of 2020, he saw it fit to violate his own guidelines by standing less than six feet away or two meters away in the UK. To a guy who it turned out wasn't wearing a mask, an MP who wasn't wearing a mask, Johnson wasn't wearing a mask. The MP he was standing next to had coronavirus, was tested positive for it. And he, Boris Johnson had to quarantine for two weeks. I'm not going to talk about the US in this instance because I've documented that for a long time. I've documented the cult-like Jim Jones mentality of Donald Trump and the rest of that administration, which will be out of the way of our souls and our lives in precisely 36 or 35 days. Uh, are you excited? Aren't you? Aren't you? I know I cannot wait till we get to January the 20th. We're roughly 35 days or so away from that moment. And I, for one, cannot wait. But in England, you've had the health secretary, Matt Hancock, come down with this virus. I mean, there's so many other people who've come down with that virus. You have over 65,000 people, if not more than that. One-tenth of one percent of the population of the United Kingdom come down with this virus, die from this virus. One-tenth of one percent of the people, if not slightly more than that, dying from corona. They're dead from coronavirus. These rates are spiking. And Boris Johnson thinks it's a really good idea after putting more places in the country, in England, into a tier three, which is the maximum and tightest restrictions, to then open these same tier three locations up, including London, I might add, which has a, if you're talking greater London, a population of roughly 10 million people. Opening that up for five days, including the Boxing Day shopping period, which is the busiest shopping day on the English calendar, literally. People returning things, people getting discounts. And then you're trying to tell people will stay away from the Boxing Day sales. Try not to spend time shopping in the Boxing Day sales. Exercise caution. When you've got hundreds and hundreds of people on Oxford Street in London, in central London, you are asking them to exercise caution on Boxing Day and you've opened up five days? After you've told people that, oh, tier three, you can't go out, you can't do this, you can't do that. 
What Boris Johnson is not doing is asking the people of England to sacrifice. He's not doing that. And the reason why you're going to see more people die from this virus is because Boris Johnson has not asked people to really sacrifice. Dominic Cummings, no, you know, he can just go and violate lockdown. There was no swift action by Boris Johnson against Dominic Cummings. Carrie Simmons, Carrie Simons, I always pronounce her name. I always get, I don't know if it's Simons or Simmons. That Carrie Simmons had to tell Boris Johnson, no. You've got to let him go. And there's, and his friend Lee Kane, he can go too. You know, I, I, there's no leadership at number 10. I don't think those of you who've listened to this podcast over the last few months will be surprised that I say that. This is not a revelation to you. What is abundantly clear, abundantly clear, is that Boris Johnson is sending at the very minimum, deliberately, in my view, mixed messages. And mixed messages get people killed during a pandemic. If you cannot fashion a coherent, clear guideline and a consistent one, people are going to take liberties. People want to see their families. People want to see their elderly relatives. People want to see their parents who may be elderly. And of course, Christmas time is a holiday that is celebrated by many. And it is a peak time where people will get together. There is no question about that. But if Boris Johnson had instead asked people to sacrifice a Christmas and urged people instead to, to the best of their ability, because lots of people do not have access to the internet or have the requisite devices on which to facilitate this. But what if he had asked people to communicate remotely by Zoom or by telephone or by FaceTime or by WebEx and then said, if you do this, we are going to lower your taxes or we are going to give you some kind of voucher 
What if he had done that? What if he, you know, forget the monetary incentive, because some people would have a lot of problems with that. And maybe it's not necessarily, maybe it's maybe not necessarily legal to give money to people to do this. But what about lowering taxes? What about that? With that, and I'm not talking for the billionaire class in England. I'm talking about the everyday person. What if there was something that that government did to provoke and promote better behavior? What if, and I've said this before, what if Boris Johnson had, in March, issued a national lockdown certainly in England, and also with the consent of the devolved governments of Scotland, of Wales, and of Northern Ireland, and said, for the next six weeks, this is going to be very difficult, but this is what we need to do. And in October of this year, we're going to have to do this again. What if Boris Johnson had said in March, we're doing a six-week lockdown. Here are the exceptions. And he did have a lockdown, let the record reflect, earlier this year. But this was the lockdown during which Dominic Cummings went to Durham and went to this castle and all of this nonsense to test his eyesight. What a likely story. What if Boris Johnson had put this curfew, rather this lockdown of six weeks to the public and said for six weeks beginning in March through middle of April or from the middle of March through the end of April, we're going to be doing this. We need to stop this virus and slow it down. I'm telling you, you would be in better shape in England. My native country would not have suffered 66, nearly 66,000 people dying, dead from this virus. I'm telling you, it wouldn't have happened. And what you would also do is say, in October, we're going to have to do this again. The numbers will come and we'll get those numbers as we get closer to October and we may moderate that six-week period, but this virus is shown to gather steam again as we get to the winter months. And in order for you to have, in order for you to have a Christmas, we are going to take this step now in late September, early October for six weeks. And we're going to lock down the United Kingdom with some exceptions of getting exercise, medical emergencies, and also being able to get groceries. We're going to facilitate a program where people can have education and meet, say, once for in-person learning a week. But the rest of the time, it will be learning via remote. Maybe that 
part might work, maybe it wouldn't work. But overall, what if Boris Johnson had implemented something along the lines of what I have just said? Do you think it would have helped? What if Boris Johnson actually did care about all of this and had instead chosen to attend COBRA meetings in March? COBRA is, I guess, the equivalent, well, it's the equivalent of the national security here in the U.S. COBRA is a top, top, top body in U.K. government. It's a security council. They meet for all kinds of very high-level things. Planning national emergency response, all kinds of things. And COBRA had at least six meetings in February and March, and I think in April. Boris Johnson missed five of those meetings at least. Why would Boris Johnson not go to COBRA meetings? When you have a pandemic raging, why would Boris Johnson not attend these national security meetings? Some people started to think, it well, maybe it was to do with his fiancée, Carrie Simons. I don't, to me, it's irrelevant what it was to do with. And I know she gave birth uh, earlier this year. And congratulations to her and to Boris Johnson on their child. I think that's Boris's seventh or eighth child now. Um, but who's counting, right? I mean, I don't think the British press knows for sure how many kids Boris Johnson has from, what, four different women? Is, this, is, that, is that the count now? I mean, have you, have you... I don't even know how many different... It's not my business, is it? I, I'm just really, I don't understand how my fellow country people across the pond, as it were, can possibly take Boris Johnson seriously. I really don't understand how they can. Look, thousands of Americans are dying a day. Our lives have been turned upside down and they're doing nothing in Washington. David Perdue had his chance, but he was too busy looking after his stock portfolio. And now he's blocking relief for the rest of us. We can defeat this virus by listening to doctors and scientists. We can pass direct economic relief. We can get our daily lives back, but only if we vote. I'm John Ossoff and I approve this message. The Politocrat podcast is daily and it's everywhere, pretty much. Spotify, Apple, Ebony Jet Media, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, CastBox, Overcast, Anchor, and so many more. So many more. You can also consult the YouTube page and the Facebook page. And you can follow me, Omar Moore at the popcorn r-e-e-l on twitter thank you and thank you for your support
Tell your friends to subscribe to the Politocrat Daily Podcast right now. Thank you very much, Prime Minister. You're telling the country today to exercise extreme caution, but you are still allowing a five-day period to go ahead when people from all over the country will be able to get together. Wouldn't it now be safer, clearer, and perhaps braver to ditch the plans to relax the rules over Christmas? And Professor Whitty, can I ask you, have you done any modelling of what the impact this period might have on the diseases? And if there are models, can you share with us what you think the effect of people getting together might be on how the pandemic spreads? Um, thanks, Laura. Well, look, I, I want to be clear. We, do, we don't want to, uh, as I say, to, to ban Christmas, to, uh, to cancel it. Uh, and I, I think that would be, frankly, inhuman and uh, against uh, the instincts of many people in this country the 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 and uh, the majority of people in this in this country and uh, nor do we want to criminalize uh plans that people uh, may have made uh, for some time uh, and arrangements that people may have made uh, for some time now but what we are saying is that uh that that guidance uh the the three households and the the five days that really should be regarded as a as a as a maximum those are those are the that's the outer limits and really people should think very very hard about coming in under uh, those limits and uh, what they can do to uh, minimize their own uh, personal uh, uh, meetings with other people and, uh, and and to protect themselves and their family. And there are all sorts of ways in which uh, we set that out in the guidance. We think that's the, be- the, the right way to do it, Laura. We think that uh, people really do understand uh, how this disease is communicated now uh, and uh, we're offering uh, a lot of advice, uh, but we're also relying on people's strong strong sense of personal responsibility. Prime Minister, the law says one thing, the guidance says another. So if someone follows the law, but not the guidance over Christmas, and gives coronavirus to a relative who falls ill, whose fault is it? Is it theirs for pushing the boundaries, or is it yours for not wanting to toughen the law? And Professor Whitty, why do you think the eminent medical journals, the health service journal and the BMJ, who jointly called for the rules to be tightened for Christmas, are wrong? Well, Sam, I just want to repeat, really, what I've said to uh, other uh, of your colleagues. And uh, we don't want to cancel Christmas. We don't want to, uh, to ban it. We don't want to criminalise people for, you know, planning that they've already made and... Uh, uh, often very expensive decisions they, they may already have, have taken. But we do urge everyone to follow uh, the guidance. Uh, it's, it's there and help to uh, reduce to a minimum uh, the number of, uh, of meetings with other people that we have, because that's the way to, to stop the spread of the, of the virus. Uh, in terms of, I mean, you're getting a lot of commentary from lots of uh, medical and nursing and other healthcare professionals at the moment. BMJ and the Health Service Journal, both very eminent journals, uh, gave one particular view. What they all have in common is two things. Firstly, there is still a substantial and in many parts of the country rising problem. This is not a problem that's gone away. This is actually a problem in much of the UK, which is getting worse uh, or flatlining but a flatlining at a high level. So this is, this is not a moment to relax at all, quite the reverse. Uh, and secondly, that 
within the choices given, please take the most minimalist approach you can. And this, you hear this in different forms from lots of different medical outlets, but all of them will say, the key thing is, do less. Now, some of them may say it should be the law, and some of them may say this is a matter of guidance, but all of them actually basically fundamentally say the same thing, which is do the least that you feel is appropriate for you and your family at this point. Go for the minimum, because we've got a very significant problem on our hands here. Sam Coates of Sky News there, asking a question that I think many people had on their minds, I certainly did, as I watched this press conference. It's just incomprehensible. And I really think that Sam Coates hit the nail on the head. He is the deputy political editor at Sky News. And it's a question that I think everybody wanted to get an answer to. I mean, I don't know that um, Boris Johnson gave the answer that you wanted. I mean, I know how I think about about that answer, that um, he was giving, but I just don't understand it, really. And before before that, you, you heard Laura Kunzberg, who is the BBC political editor, I believe, and actually a, a uh, known good friend of Boris Johnson. They've always been, you know, again, I don't want to get into that. I won't even go there. Um, people on social media have made a lot of this. They are friends. Um, but I do think that there are times where I think Laura Kunzberg does a very good job. Um, and there are times where I, I uh, think that she, as a lot of the BBC does, leans so, so much into the direction of the Conservative Party genuflecting to them to no end. And there's a number of people on BBC Radio who do the same. I mean, my goodness me. We had one of them retire this year, John Humphreys, who is basically an institution at the BBC, on BBC Radio. And this guy was the biggest Tory hack um, that there was. I mean, my goodness me. And then you, anyway, I don't want to... I can go on forever uh, and, and read out the litany of people at the BBC who absolutely kiss the boots. Uh, do they lick the boots? Or they, they kiss them. Some of them might lick the boots. I don't even want to... <laughs> but the point is, is that they genuflect toward the Tories. I don't want them genuflecting to Labour, to the Social Democrats. I want them to just do their job in the public trust and actually report news instead of genuflecting. It's bad enough you've got the Barclay Brothers and Murdoch to deal with. You know, I mean, we really don't need reporters or editors genuflecting to one party or another. Just report the news. And I think that Laura Kunzberg does. But she asked a question that you just heard there that I think, you know, a lot of people want to know the answer to. I mean, I could do about the Daily Telegraph asking their little pom-pom question that is all about puffing up Boris Johnson and this absolutely shambolic Tory government that it is actually wanting to get a real answer to something really important that the British public may want to glean or learn you will always have your pom-pom wavers in the press 
no matter what. You have them here in the U.S., you have them in the U.K., you have them in other places. And their specific mission is to divert the conversation or make the conditions of a press conference a little bit more rosy, shall we say, a little bit more comfy, shall we say, for the leader who is at the focal point of the questions that the press, the serious press, are actually asking. But, hey, don't worry. Only two million people have died from this coronavirus. We can just put levity into the mix when you've got spiking rates. No worry. We can get the pom-pom waivers. They'll make us feel better about ourselves. The fewer people we mix with in our own homes, the less chance we have of catching or spreading the virus. Nobody wants to be ill at Christmas. And none of us want to give this deadly disease to our closest family or friends. We don't intend to take away uh, the flexibility. That, in my view, wouldn't be fair at this stage and it wouldn't be realistic either. And indeed, it may risk undermining rather than strengthening compliance with the overall COVID guidance. However, uh, we uh, and the Scottish Government uh, do intend to strengthen the guidance we give to people about whether and how they should make use of the flexibility. Uh, the guidance in Scotland is already a bit tighter than elsewhere, but we hope we can come to a Four Nations agreement on a clear and united message to the public. That was First Minister Mark Drakeford of Wales followed by First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, outlining guidelines, or at least commenting briefly, in those clips at least, about the recommendations of their devolved governments for guidelines for the public in their countries. To me, those guidelines sound very reasonable and practical. And they sound more of a cautious note than Boris Johnson does. just on the the, the Barnet uh, consequentials obviously they should be spent on the uh, the things for which the, they're they're intended that funding should clearly go on the things for which it's uh, it's intended and um, as for as for a, pre a present for for Nicola I mean I, well there's all sorts of things that will arise naturally from uh, the UK uh, uh, getting a new relationship with our friends in the in the European Union but one thing that may be of particular interest uh, to the people of Scotland is that they will become uh, the proud possessors of hundreds of thousands of tons of fish 
shellfish, uh, crustaceans, uh, and uh, I don't know whether Nicola's a keen uh, fish eater, but she'll have uh, more than she could possibly uh, consume uh, herself for a, a very, very long time uh, to come. So how about that? That was a clip from the press conference today at Downing Street. Boris Johnson there speaking in response to a question. It's what an absurd press conference that was. That was an absurd press conference. I do want to, as a point of contrast, mention to you how other countries along and within the European Union and in Europe in general are doing and what they're doing rules-wise in their own places, in their own countries. This is, uh, and I'm going to put a link to this. Um, some of these other countries in Europe are doing things differently than what the UK is doing, or at least what England is doing. And by the way, I'm also going to include um, some some audio in a few moments from both Wales and Scotland, the devolved governments in the United Kingdom, and what their leaders are saying. You will hear from Nicola Sturgeon, the first minister of Scotland and the head of the Scottish National Party, the SNP. And you will hear from the first minister of Wales, Mark Drakeford. Both of them will be speaking about what their rules are or what their advice is, certainly. And you'll hear that coming up in a bit of sound that I will be playing for you. But first I want to draw your attention to what you are, um, may, you may or may not be aware of, what these other countries in Europe, or at least some of them are doing. This is uh, going to be linked in this episode at the bbc.com website. I will link to it in the liner notes of this episode. On December the 15th, France had relaxed its national lockdown. And the lockdown that they had in place was in place since the latter part of October. So only yesterday did France begin relaxing it. Did they relax their national lockdown? This is what that national lockdown in part had provided in France. People had to fill out a form to say why they are leaving their homes. Bars, restaurants, theatres, cinemas and the ski resort lifts were shut. Universities are shut, were shut, still are shut. That was France. That's just a snippet of what their guidelines were. Right up from late October to just yesterday, December 15th. 
Now, that was relaxed yesterday. No, no one has to fill out a form anymore to say why they are leaving their homes. Now, some people are going to listen to that. Filling out forms to say why you're leaving your home. People in the United States will go, oh my goodness. Filling out a form? That's so draconian. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it has an echo of Nazi Germany. Maybe it doesn't. I think what France was trying to do, is trying to do, is to try to govern the movement of people and have some kind of way to track and trace them in addition to any technology that they might utilize. And I think this is less about something fascist than it is about being able to track people in terms of health, not tracking them for any kind of nefarious privacy invasions or any privacy invasions at all. I think this is really much more about trying to ascertain why you are leaving your home during a virus that has done so much damage to people's lives. In France, by the way, the bars and restaurants, theatres, cinemas and ski resorts are still closed. Universities are still closed, as I said. Nurseries and schools, though, are open. There is a nationwide curfew between 8 o'clock at night in France and 6 a.m. the following day. That is a daily nationwide curfew. That's going on right now in France. And it will be lifted for Christmas Eve. For Christmas Eve. One day. No curfew. But it will not be lifted on New Year's Eve. And that makes a lot of sense, I think. Because you're going to see even more people gather on New Year's Eve. Those measures in France are going to stay in place until the 20th of January. And the universities that are going to be closed will remain closed until February 2021. I mean, at the earliest. I don't hear of any mass uprising in France against these regulations. Now, of course, there are parts of Europe, some people in France, a lot of people in Germany and others who are, you know, who have been upset about wearing masks. I know, I get that. But the most, the vast majority of people in these countries are not raging against these lockdown guidelines. Germany, beginning today, started a new nationwide lockdown, which will last for three weeks till the 10th of January. Non-essential shops, businesses, like hairdressers, etc., schools, they'll all close. 
Restaurants, bars, and leisure centers will stay closed. They've been closed in advance of that. Up to five people from a maximum of two different households are allowed to gather together in a home. And three days of relaxation of these rules will happen from the 24th to the 26th of December when one household will be able to host a maximum of four close family members from other households, but not including any children. I just think that that is much more effective than a five-day mingling with three different households in England. And the rates in England are rising higher than anywhere, except perhaps the Netherlands. And even the Netherlands has said, nope, we're putting a stop to all this. We are not going to allow mingling and gathering. We're going to have a lockdown. And we, if we are allowing any gathering to the extent that we do, it's going to be much more tightened. And I think that is the best way to police this, for lack of a better word. I think it's the best way that you do this. It's effective. I agree that you cannot completely stop people from meeting each other. But what you have to do is model good behavior, smart behavior, safe behavior. And what you have to do is lead. And this is something that Boris Johnson has failed to do. And that's why you have what you have in the UK right now. The mixed messaging is the worst part of it, along with the lack of leadership. You had people in England, the scientists, the doctors, all saying, writing joint editorials, begging, begging the prime minister. Please, please rethink these guidelines. Do not have this five-day free-for-all where you know people are going to violate the rules. People are going to violate the rules anyway, on any day, on the best day. You'll get a few people, a percentage, who are going to do that. But I really think it's going to take more people dying and more people getting sick for people to understand that this virus is not to be played with. I I mean, sadly, I think that's how we are, some of us. I believe in the best in people, but I also believe in the realities in people. And human experience has taught me, (laughs) observable human behavior has shown me The way this world works and the way that we as adults circumnavigate that world, the way we swim in it, the way we experience it, the way we sense it, the way we feel it, shows me that there are going to be people who are going to disregard the guidelines. They're going to. And they're on television admitting that they're going to. So if you tighten these rules a bit, 
Prime Minister Johnson. I think that you will still get the desired effect. If you said to people, we are only going to have, as Germany did, 24th, the 25th and the 26th, and only two family met two family households yours and someone else's what what would be the harm in that why would you do 5 days and three different households I don't understand this. I don't understand any of these rules, quite frankly, being relaxed. I honestly don't. I I really don't understand why you're going to put people in tier three in England. You're going to put 10 million Londoners, Greater London included. Well, it's roughly 10 million people. You're going to put them, you're going to put Kent, which has already been under tier three, and other parts of the areas around there and Essex and all these places that are right adjacent to to London. You're going to put all of them in tier three and then for five days, you're going to say, no, right now, three people, three families can mingle and try not to travel from tier three into a different tier. It's just not going to work. This is a cluster you-know-what. This cannot work. And it's not because I don't want it to work. It's because I know how human beings work. You know how human beings work. You know who and what happens. Right? I know, you know. We know what our experiences are. We've probably done this. All of us, right? We've, we've, we've bent the rule a little bit, surely. Don't tell me that you've not ever bent a rule in your life. Whatever that might be. And I'm not talking about breaking laws. I'm talking about bending the rule on something in your life, right? It could be a diet. It could be this. It could be that. It could be a, a pill you're taking, a drink you're, you're drinking, you know, what, you know, a medication, whatever. And you've bent the rule. We all have done it. You don't think that people are somehow going to bend a rule? You don't think they're going to bend a rule on, on when it comes to this five-day open-up-the-door stuff? I mean, it's incomprehensible that they wouldn't. But I don't fault those people because, I mean, yes, there's one thing for Chris Whitty and it's quite another thing also for Boris Johnson to talk about personal responsibility. (laughs) Personal responsibility, Boris Johnson? Oh, dear me. Oh, my goodness me. Listen, no one's perfect in this world, but goodness gracious me, be personally responsible. You know, what about looking at yourself, mate? Personal responsibility. And you're wagging your finger at the English public. And yet you allowed allowed Boris Johnson, your senior advisor, not to be punished at all while the country was begging for him to be sacked on the spot. Dominic Cummings gave an absurd press conference. Was it in May of this year, I think? He sat there for, what, an hour in a 
barely audible voice, as blank and as plain as you can possibly imagine. Typically barely a tucked in shirt sitting there in a rose garden or whatever the heck that was in his backyard or in down, backyard of Downing Street or whatever and, and sat there with a mumbly mumble core press conference statement that he gave. And the country wasn't having it. And you didn't take any responsibility, Boris Johnson, to make Dominic Cummings a thing of the past when it came to your government. Tory MPs hated him. They didn't want him anywhere near him. He was not a Tory. He couldn't stand the Tories. He had a go at Jeremy Corbyn in a drunken rant, attacked, attacked Corbyn. I mean, this was, this is, I'm telling you, this happened. I'm not making this up. There were conservatives all over the United Kingdom that wanted Boris to get rid, Boris Johnson to get rid of, to sack Dominic Cummings. One of those individuals was on, was on this podcast a few weeks ago, Claire Pearsall who is the conservative councillor in New Ash Green in Kent. She was one of the early conservatives, one of the earlier people who called for him to be, for him to be sacked, called for Dominic Cummings to go. And it's just, it's just really hard for me. And I, again, I repeat this, and I know I said this earlier, it is hard for me to fathom how anybody can take Boris Johnson seriously. I'm not even talking about Brexit, which has become one of the gravest national disasters that England and the UK at large has ever experienced. Of course, short of World War II, of course, with the Blitz. And certainly a couple of other things I can think of. But in the last God knows how many generations since then. This is, this is really one of the most grave moments. And incredibly enough, only one question was asked about that. At this absurd press conference today. Let me continue with these rules. Greece. This is what Greece has done. They have a lockdown now running through January 7th. People must get permission to leave their homes by sending a text message to a government number, including the reason why they're leaving and the personal, their personal details. Now, again, there are some people in the United States who are hearing that thinking, oh, my goodness, isn't that an intrusion on their privacy? Again, I don't think this is being done, and I know some people will disagree with this, but I don't think this is being done for that reason. That's not to say that they couldn't abuse it. Look at what happens in China. I don't know if you realize this in China. When they do the track and trace, it is extremely intrusive. Now, the rates in China are lower than they are here in the United States. But 
what really does present problems in China are the privacy concerns. But what I think is also interesting is the very people who talk about, well, isn't this thing in Greece, you have to text your a government number and give personal details. The people who say that, some, some of the people who say that, who are here in the United States, are all the time exposing their private lives and their personal lives, putting it on Twitter, putting, you know, putting it on Instagram, Facebook, you know, shopping or putting all their details online. And they're now and they're pointing at Greece, perhaps. Oh, Greece, that's too intrusive, isn't it? <laughs> Photo, po- posting photos of every aspect of their homes, putting the. <laughs> Are they, come on now, come on now. And you're worried about people in Greece. Maybe, maybe people don't care about people in Greece. I, I mean, I don't know if they do. I don't know if they don't. I, I'm, come on, I'm being a little bit facetious there. But is it really that draconian when it comes to dealing with a pandemic to provide a reason why you're leaving and personal details. Would you do that? If, if, if the United States, for example, if Joe Biden, because let's just talk about him for a second. I know I wasn't going to focus much on the U.S. today. But if President Biden had said that for his first 100 days, anybody who leaves their home because we're going to do this lockdown And I urge the governors to do it as well. If he had said the guidelines are that people have to text their personal details and the reason, and you have to text this government number at Build Back Better. Let's say there was a phone number, 1-800-BUILD-BACK-BETTER. I mean, that's a few too many numbers for a regular 1-800 number. But the point is, what if that was said? What if Joe Biden did that? Would you give your reason and your personal details in that text? I think some people would. I think some people wouldn't. Boris Johnson, I mean, why doesn't Boris Johnson do something like this? I mean, people give out their personal information when they're texting uh, a choice for a show. If they're voting on American, I mean, I don't do this, but I know people do this. Voting on American Idol. Who should be eliminated? Who should stay? Who should go? They're using their cell phones to do that. When you're giving out information to politicians' websites for their campaigns, you're giving out your personal information. Yes, it's encrypted. I get that. But you're giving out your card number. You're giving out this. You're giving out that. Your address. You know, when you're buying a book online, what do you think you're doing? You're giving away your personal information, right? I don't see how in this technological age, which presents challenges, some of which is positive, a lot of which is not, that you can go around that without giving out your personal information. It's just not feasible, I don't think. Logistically, it's impossible, isn't it? So why would someone be so upset about giving out personal details when you're dealing with a pandemic that's killed almost 2 million people, 
Almost 2 million people have died from coronavirus on this planet. But again, I dare say it's not about the fact that we have 2 million people who are no longer here. It's about the principle of wanting a safer society to live in. This isn't about curtailing people's liberty. This is about health and safety. And people try to get cute when they try to conflate those things. And they do it very deliberately, in my view. There's a nationwide curfew now in uh, Greece between the hours of 10 o'clock and 5 in the morning. Shops are shut. Secondary schools and primary schools and nursery schools all closed. The majority of the measures in Greece will remain in place over Christmas, including the curfew. Now, that's a strenuous, pretty darn strong guideline. Bookshops and hairdressers were allowed to open in the run-up to Christmas, but from the 18th of December, which is this Friday, the compulsory quarantine for travelers arriving will be reduced from 10 to 3 days. They will still need proof of a negative coronavirus test. Does anybody have any problem with that? I mean, I can go on and on and on. There's there's a new lockdown in the Netherlands from the 15th of December, that was yesterday, to January the 19th. All non-essential shops, cinemas, hairdressers, gyms, and schools will be closed. Households are allowed only two guests. Dos. Due. Trai. Two. Restrictions will be slightly eased for the three days of Christmas, allowing three guests per household, not counting children under 13. This is in the Netherlands. On New Year's Eve, there will be a fireworks ban. The government advises against all non-essential travel abroad until mid-March. Again, I will put... There are other countries, I won't go through all of them, but I will link to that particular BBC report on the, in the liner notes of this episode. Now, let me tell you something else about the Netherlands. They have had now... I think after the UK, the highest rate of infection across Europe, some 11,000 people, I think, have, have either died or have become infected with this virus since this lockdown in the Netherlands had ended. They did a previous lockdown. And they tried to go back to a more normalized, in quotes, existence. And then 11,000 people got infected. So they had to now do this again. They had to now have a new lockdown, which started yesterday, the 15th of December. And I just really resist this. Well, that's the Netherlands and they do something different. Well, no, this is about health and safety. That should be the uniform governing principle. No matter how large the country, no matter what the mentality of the people are in the country, 
or no matter what the government is. The universality of health remains the same. The principle of it remains the same regardless of the government or the country. Now, granted, we don't have uh, free health care here in the U.S. We just don't have government-run health care. I mean, Medicare is a form of government-run health care, yes. But even that is not completely covered by the government because you have a 20% Medicare gap. And that Medicare gap was established in 1967 under LBJ because Republicans who were negotiating the bill said, we will only go along with this Medicare provision and this Medicare program if you pass on 20% of the cost to the consumer, to the health care recipient, the person who wants the health insurance, who wants the, the Medicare. They've still got to pay this 20%. Government can pick up 80% of this, but the consumer will have to pay 20. That's the Medicare gap. Johnson agreed to that. Lyndon Johnson, that is. And LBJ said, okay. But generally speaking, in the United States, we are the only industrialized nation on earth that does not guarantee government-run health care or does not give free health care to its citizenry. It's just, a, a, it's just an absolute human rights violation, that is, as far as I'm concerned. That's a human rights violation. By the way, for those of you who uh, have uh, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, you have until, well, oh my goodness, the deadline was actually yesterday. <laughs> oh God, I wish I had remembered to say this to you. I think some states do extend the deadline. Oh, dear. This is so bad that I did not remember this. Terrible. Uh, you know, I guess it's better late than never, but it's too late now. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, in some states, there has been an extension to applying for Obamacare. Oh, dear. I feel so bad for not mentioning this a few days ago. Please check in your state to see if that's the case. But it's really a travesty and, and it really is a human rights violation to be in a country, the richest in the world, and to know that there is no government run health care for everybody. And when someone like a Bernie Sanders or anybody says Medicare for all. There is a strenuous pushback against it from ordinary people. I mean, I know why the corporations push back against it. And I know why the politicians, some of them, push back against it, including Democratic politicians who make these absurd cases for, oh, my goodness me, we'll never get that kind of health care done. And then they conveniently ignore the millions of voters in states that are predominantly Republican who are voting for, you know, having more government-run things such as health care, voting for Medicaid expansion amendments. <laughs> oh, in, in Missouri this year, they did that. In other states, they did that. These are predominantly... Missouri is a state that is predominantly Republican-controlled. 
Yeah, but no, but they don't. But they don't want Medicare for all, do they? You know that—that's the nonsense that we hear from some Democrats. It's absolute rubbish. Oh, but we don't want Medicare. Yeah, they don't want. We can't have that. That'll never get done. This negativity, this nattering nabobs of negativity. I think that's to borrow a Boris Johnson line or whomever said that before I did. But it's just absurd. If you go to all of these countries, if you go to South Korea, and I spoke about this with the filmmaker Alex Gibney last week. I hope you got a chance to listen to that. You can listen to that um, if you go to the podcast, the Politocrat podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I, I You know, it, we, we had this discussion and he talked about South Korea having one case, the first case, the very same day as the United States. And South Korea did something about it. And South Korea, we didn't mention this specifically, but South Korea has something that we don't have here. Government-run health care for everybody. If you go to all of these countries who are doing these new lockdowns, all of them have government-run health care that protects everybody in their countries. If you go north of the border from here in the United States, Canada has government-run health care that protects everybody. Everybody, I mean, it's, it's just incredible. And the prices, if you go to get prescription drugs in Canada, you are paying virtually nothing for it. And you're paying, if anything at all, it's such a small amount, particularly when compared to here in the United States. It's staggering. The amount of money less that you pay in Canada. And if you have coronavirus in Canada, you're going to be taken care of in a lot better ways than you are here in the U.S. This is all about how we treat people. And it's all about what the rules are and how we lead by example. And if you are a leader in a country, you have to lead by example. How are you going to convince people to uh, take these vaccines if you yourself have been modeling bad behavior? How do you expect people? And I'm not talking about these vaccine, these anti-vaxxers. I'm not talking about them because they are not on the radar for me. Now, it's not that I am saying they don't exist. They do exist. They are a loud, furious minority. And I wish I could remember the quote from Yates, what Yates said about not sound and fury signifying nothing, but Yates saying this thing about people who are passionate, who are loud and passionate. I'll get that and dig it up at some point. But look, how are you going to convince people who understandably are skeptical. I'm talking about black people, Latinx people, Native Americans, who are naturally and understandably skeptical because of all the experimentation that's been done on them, particularly on black people in this country. The kinds of experiments, in fact, I wouldn't even call them experiments. I'd call them torture, medical torture and medical violence that is being that has been done on black women, on black men, 
on black babies in the United States over many years and over the last century, two centuries. Black people have every reason to be skeptical about this. How are you going to convince people when you are going to restaurants while you tell the general public, don't go to a restaurant? How are you going to convince people to take a vaccine? I think most people will take this vaccine when it's ready. And it's not going to be ready for the average person until probably near the end of next year. That might be your Christmas present or your Hanukkah present or your whichever holiday you celebrate, your Kwanzaa present, your whichever Muslim holidays on the calendar around that time of year. That might be your present next year. It's possible still that you may not be vaccinated until the end of next year. In the meantime, what we have to do Whether we're vaccinated or not, whether we're on a film set or not, whether we are politicians or not, is to wear a mask, wear gloves, physically distance, and be sensible, avoid crowds, and care enough about the people around you. Not just your family members and not just yourself. Obviously, that's clear. But about your everyday fellow human being. I'm not saying you have to bow down and shine their shoes for five minutes, which would break the lockdown rules. (laughs) You know, the physically distance rules. But what I am saying is, is that We've lost nearly 2 million people worldwide. And I think it would be helpful for us to be a little less selfish and a little more considerate. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. I just want to repeat, really, what I've said to uh, other uh, of your colleagues, and uh, we don't want to cancel Christmas. We don't want to uh, to ban it. We don't want to criminalise people for, you know, planning that they've already made and. Uh, uh, often very expensive decisions they, they may already have, have taken. But we do urge everyone to follow uh, the guidance. Uh, it's, it's there and help to uh, reduce to a minimum uh, the number of, uh, of meetings with other people that we have because that's the way to, to stop the spread of the, of the virus. And one other thing. Cancelling Christmas? Who wants to cancel Christmas? What what is Boris Johnson talking about? Cancelling Christmas? You fool. He is such a fool. Christmas is going to exist. Whether or not people follow these guidelines or whether or not you implement serious guidelines. Who is he talking to? Who in the English non-reading Daily Mail public 
does he think he is fooling? 